Thank you, choir. I remember the first time that I um, had an opportunity, the only time really that I've been on vacation with uh, my parents that I had the opportunity to go to a place that I hope one day maybe to, uh, to go back to again. You're thinking, what island in the Pacific or what exotic location, what place? That's probably not a place you're thinking of. It's the Kennedy Space Center. How many of you have ever been to the Kennedy Space Center? All right, a few of you have. You know, I, I was a little bit bummed on Friday. You know, they're supposed to shoot this uh, shuttle up into the sky again and uh, was kind of excited about that. I've had an opportunity to see a couple of those. Not there, but you can see it from right around here if you're in the right spot. And, uh, and I was a little bummed when they canceled it because I was hoping to get a, get a good view of it and to, to, to see it when it was going up. By the way, I was reminded of a story of an astronaut that um, uh, just before he was about to make one of his trips up into space, a reporter asked him, what does it feel like? To be, uh, to be able to, to have the privilege of being launched up into, the, into uh, outer space and to be able to make a trip like that. And he said, well, how would it make you feel if you were um, uh, seated on top of a hurtling mass of metal that was assembled by the lowest bidder? And that kind of puts into perspective a little bit, I guess, of what you're looking at. But, I, you know, I, I won't say that I'm a, you know, a, a person who has been just gripped all my life by things that relate to, you know, uh, you know, satellites and space travel, and those kind of things. But it's just so interesting, so interesting. Well, when I went, went on this trip to the Kennedy Space Center, one of, the, one of the parts of that tour is that they take you out to the launch pad, launch pad 39A, 39B, and you get to see what the launch pads look like, and you get to see from a distance just kind of what's involved there. And if you've ever read about or studied any of that at all, it's just such an impressive sight. When you get out there, or when, whenever you look at the launch pad, it is a mile and a half in diameter. This is an enormous structure, and it somewhat is, is like a pyramid, not that you can notice it with your eye, but it slopes upwards as a pyramid slowly through that mile and a half, up to 40 feet. The concrete is 40 feet high at, at one point. And the purpose of the pad, obviously, is to provide the structure that's needed for the shuttle to be able to launch up into space. Now, the shuttle program's been around for 30 years now. It's coming to a close here very, very soon. Whenever you look at that pad, it is designed and its sole purpose is to give the support that's needed for that trip to take place. It's got uh, propellant tanks, all that's in there. You've got uh, the uh, high-speed TV cameras. You've got a water tower that's there to just douse that pad all mile and a half of it with water before a uh, launch takes place. Just an enormous tremendous structure there, just the launch pad. But again, the reason that it exists is to give what is needed for that launch to take place. In my years as a Christian, I've noticed that there are three different types of churches that are in existence. There are those that are dying, there are those that are maintaining, and then there are those that I call the launch pad churches. Dying churches are far too common. We hate to see that, but many times we hear stories or we witness another event where a church has closed its doors. It doesn't matter how big the church may be or how small the church may be. Just because the numbers may be significant doesn't mean that a church is alive. There are churches that are large in number that are dying all over the place, all over this country specifically. In fact, I remember one such occasion whenever I finished seminary and I came back to Savannah, I was waiting for God to plant me wherever I would be in ministry, not knowing it was going to be here, not knowing it would be 17 months later. But I remember when I got back to town, I was done with seminary, done uh, ministry for six years as a, as a youth pastor, and I started calling uh, church, uh, schools, Christian schools around our area just to let them know, hey, my name's Brooks Kale, I've been in youth ministry, love doing chapels at, at schools, I've done that for a number of years, and, and uh, if you ever need a chapel speaker, typically Christian schools have a great need to find chapel speakers, uh, I said, I, you know, I'm available if you ever want to use me. Well, I called one such school that's associated with the church here in town, not the one that you're thinking of probably. And I called that particular school and I gave them my whole little deal. I said, if you need a speaker at all, I'd, be, I'd love to come. I love speaking to students and love to challenge them in regards to a walk with Christ. 
And the, the lady that took the call said, well, let me let you speak to our pastor. And so she put her on the phone, put the, the, the pastor on the phone. And so I began to talk to her. And, um, and I knew that, that I, me, Brooks, and this pastor would have differences, perhaps, of understanding and of uh, perspective on what Scripture says about certain areas of doctrine. And she raised that issue. She said, I know where you went to seminary, and uh, I know probably what you believe in regards to certain areas of doctrine. And uh, I said, yeah, that, that's true. I said, you and I would have differences along those lines. However, those would not be issues that would ever be addressed in regards to students. They need to hear that there's a Savior named Jesus who loves them, died for them, is willing to accept them where they are. And she said to me, and I'll never forget this. It's been, been interesting ever since. She said to me, she said, uh, I will be honest with you that you will not be the first on our list that we will call. And I had a sneaky suspicion, and it proved true, that I wasn't even last on the list. I wasn't on the list and uh, never got a call to come and to speak to those students. Interestingly, and it wasn't because of this event, because I'm not important enough for it to be tied together, but interestingly, I rode past the church that was associated with that school at the time just a few weeks ago, and hanging across the front of that church is now another sign that has nothing to do with church. That church has closed its doors. It died. Churches die for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because of sheer laziness on the part of the people for whom Christ died. They don't care about reaching others, don't care about sharing what God's done in their lives, and as a result, they begin to die a slow death. Others, it's because of liberal theology. They gravitate away from this book to begin teaching, preaching, and building their lives around other things that sound what they think is a little bit better. And churches die all the time, sadly. Then there are those churches that maintain. Churches that maintain, perhaps, to me at least, are, are just as tragic as those that are dying. They're going through the motions. They're going, they can do all the programs. In fact, if God were to remove himself from those churches that maintain themselves, it could perhaps be years before anybody even notices that he's gone. If you were to ask a church that simply is geared towards maintaining what does a win look like in ministry, those churches have no idea what to tell you. They don't know what a win looks like stumble and stammer for what it looks like if you ask them why should we do this particular event I don't, I don't, it's just, we've always done it it's a maintaining philosophy and then there are those churches that are in the category that i would call launch pad churches comprised of believers that have a launch pad mentality that their life is not the centerpiece their life is simply a pad from which jesus christ is able to promote himself so that others can know him as we do and thankfully there are churches in this city and i believe that this is one of those churches thankfully there are other churches on this island that I believe have a launch pad mentality, that the reason they exist and the people understand and they know it is so that Jesus Christ can be demonstrated. If you ask a launch pad church, why do you do the things you do? What, is, what does a win, a win look like in an event, in a service? It's very quickly defined as being uh, a win is something that puts Jesus Christ on display. Others have an opportunity to know him as we do. Well, whenever we get to Acts chapter 13, what we find here in this chapter is one of these churches that I would call a launch pad church. They care nothing about maintaining. They don't have any desire just to simply pay the light bill, so to speak, and just keep themselves comfortable. They are certainly not dying, but the church we read of here in Acts chapter 13 is what I call a launch pad church. It's a church that would make a difference. It's a church that stands out, that was so significant that God decided whenever he would pin the words to the 28 chapters of the book of Acts that he wanted to be sure that this church was included, this church in the city of Antioch. And so it's a launchpad church comprised of launchpad Christians that desire to simply put Jesus Christ on display. They knew why they existed. They knew that they were not the centerpiece any more than a launchpad is. They knew that Jesus Christ was the centerpiece. And it was their goal, it was their aim, their desire, through spirit-filled lives, through outward focus, to make sure that everyone around them knew that Jesus existed, that he loved them, that he died for them, and that he rose for them, and that he would take over their lives if they'd only invite him to do that. This church in the book, in in, uh, Acts chapter 13 in Antioch, 
is an interesting church. We were introduced to it in chapter 11. And what we find here is that this church, Antioch, uh, the church Antioch was built in this city, and the city was founded about 300 years prior to the, this church coming into existence. The city of Antioch was built on the Orontes River. It was built along a caravan trading route, very significantly placed, so that the city grew very, very quickly. It had only been around for 300 years, and yet it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this particular point in time, behind Rome and Alexandria. It was filled with an, an enormous number of people that had come there. And so this city, the city of Antioch, was a strategic city, but it was also a very religious city religious in all the wrong ways. They didn't care anything about God, had not, for the most part, even heard that Jesus Christ had even existed. And yet they had a certain religion to themselves where they were a pagan center for that region of the world in their day. There would be those that would come to temples that had been built to false deities in the city of Antioch, and they would actually offer themselves as prostitutes under the name of religious worship. And the city was so far from God, and yet it was filled with such religion. We find that in this particular city the gospel would make its way. In fact, if you look back to Acts chapter 11, interestingly, we get to read the first account of how the gospel made it to the city of Antioch. And it would make it there as a result of persecution that would break out that would send Christians on the move. Uh, so look at me, look, look uh, with me real quickly at Acts chapter 11. Look down in verse 19. This is the, the introduction of the gospel to the city, this lost city of Antioch. It says, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, that was Stephen of Acts chapter 7, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and they began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Here's what happened, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And so you had this group of launchpad Christians that were making their way into the city of Antioch. They would take the gospel with them, and as a result of them taking the gospel with them in this city of Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, you begin to see the presence of Christ in the name of Jesus being proclaimed. A church would be planted there. That church would begin to grow. Many were coming to Christ. In fact, it was such a, a significant work that what happened was that this Barnabas that we're going to read of here in just a moment, he would go and find Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, go and find him. He'd bring him back to the city of Antioch. And for one entire year, Saul and Barnabas would be planted there. They would teach and they would preach and they would help to pour their lives into the lives of these new believers in the city of Antioch. This church would get it so well that whenever they would hear of other Christians in Jerusalem suffering because of a famine, this church in Antioch, they'd take up a collection, they'd, they'd whistle this collection down to Jerusalem through Paul and Barnabas, and, uh, and they were proving themselves to be a church that was a launch pad church. They didn't want to just keep the bills paid. They didn't want to just keep the wheel rolling. They wanted to make a difference. And this church began to make a tremendous difference. Why? Because of the mentality of the people that made it what it was. By the time we get to chapter 13, we see that God's work has been consistent through the book of Acts. We find in chapter 2 that Jews have come to Jesus. We find in chapter 8 that Samaritans, those long-standing enemies of the Jews, have come to Jesus. We find in chapter 10, chapter 11, that Gentiles are coming to Christ. Well, when we get to chapter 13, it's another transition because you're going to find here that every, seemingly every group that we read of in Acts now has come to Christ. But the gospel is about to be launched in ways never before. In chapter 13, a transition takes place to where the gospel begins to make, it, begins to make its way, just as Jesus said it would, to the uttermost parts of the world. And it starts here 
from a launch pad church in the city of Antioch. So read with me, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 3, three verses that we would have been tempted to just skip over, but I think there's something there for us to see this morning. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, reading down through verse 3. It says, Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. And then it lists five of these men, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Five men are mentioned there in verse 1. Three of those men you would be really tempted and probably very quickly will forget even their names. There are two that stand out, one Barnabas and the other Saul. The first one that's mentioned and the last one that's mentioned. If you look in that verse, in verse 1, what you begin to see is that this church in Antioch had a real, uh, had a real blend of people. The second person mentioned Simeon, who was called Niger. Uh, many would say that he more than likely originally was from Africa, and so he would have been from a different heritage, would have been a n- person of a different nationality. If you keep reading that list, you find one named Menean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. He was raised in royalty. So you had a real cross-section, a real slice of people who were the leadership of this particular church. They were from different backgrounds. They were from different experiences, different uh, ethnicities. The, this was a cross-section of people, and yet God was using every single one of them to make this church what it was. We find there in verse 2 that in the context of their ministry, what happened was is that God the Holy Spirit said to them, in verse 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And the reason was because he had a specific work for them that he had decided and determined that they were to do. Now, it's interesting because when you look at that passage, that word set apart in the Greek is the Greek word aphorizo, and it means to, to set off as with boundaries, And it's a great word picture because what you begin to see there, it's almost as though God takes boundaries and he draws boundary lines around these two guys, Barnabas and Saul. And he says, these guys, hands off. They are for me and I've got got another purpose for them and they're going to be sent out and I've got something that I've called them specifically to do. They got to go. That was the mentality. I remember when I was um, in seminary, my first summer, uh, summer of 1997, that I was in seminary, I came back to Savannah, and I really wrestled with whether or not I, I was to even come here for that summer or stay up there on campus, and I ended up coming home for that summer, and I, I worked a job, a job that, um, it was at one of the local plants here, it's amazing I didn't get somebody killed while I was there, it's amazing I didn't get myself killed while I was there, and uh, it, it was kind of funny because at the end of that, of that three-month summer, <laughs> uh, there was a guy that I worked with, his name was Jay, big old strapping guy, and he came to me at the end of the summer, and he said, um, he said, it's been good, it's been fun, but you got to go. That's what he said. <laughs> and, uh, and he was right. I, I got to go. And so I left, and uh, God was calling me to another place at another time. And that's exactly what's happening here. These guys, Barnabas and Saul, they are leaders. They have just poured themselves for one entire year into this church. And yet God says, I'm going to put boundaries around them. I have set them apart, and they got to go. He is launching them out to something bigger Something different, not so much better, but something different for them. And look at, the, look at the, the character of this young church, verse 3. It says, and then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, and that's just a New Testament way of saying that they affirmed God's call in their life, it says they sent them away. Whenever you look through the book of Acts, and whenever we begin to study, and it really begins to shine here in chapter 13, the mentality of the early church 
was one of advancing and of launching. They didn't wait till they had money. They didn't wait till they had buildings. It wouldn't be the third century for a church that would even have its own building. They didn't wait always until they even had enough leaders. It was their mentality. They thought it was the norm that when they, when they had come to know Christ, that they were just supposed to launch out. That was the way they operated. And when you read through the book of Acts, what you see time and time and time again is the church launching, 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 advancing, pressing, advancing, pressing, going into regions where the gospel had never been heard, reaching people for Christ, planting churches there, and then pushing further. That was the norm for these guys. Look across the landscape of churches in our country today. That is not the norm. Most churches today are just fine and comfortable existing in and of themselves and if they ever do anything to replicate that work anywhere else ah, who cares we just want to be comfortable where we are that was not the mindset of this early church it was about going and going and going and going and going and going and going we've been to the philippines now since 2005 we take typically two trips a year sometimes just one trip a year and not because of us by any means our part there is very 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 limited very small but it's been interesting to see how the landscape has changed in these six years. In 2005, when we sent our first team, there was a church called Malupa Baptist Church that existed, and it was it. And we began to partner with that church. You began to partner with that church. You give every, every time an offering plate's passed, a good portion of that for years now has gone to help support that ministry. We send teams, shoeboxes. You don't need me to go through all the things that we're a little part, a part of there. It's just a small part of the overall ministry. But since 2005, what has happened is, is that that church is no longer the only church in that province. It's no longer the only church in their region. In fact, there are churches that are planting as an outreach of that church. If I'm not mistaken, there have been five, maybe six by now, and others, I can promise you, are in the shoot. It's just a matter of time before they're planted because it's the nature, it's part of the DNA of that particular church. They replicate themselves. And when you go to that region of the Philippines today, Malupa Baptist is not the only church that you visit where the name of Christ is being proclaimed. There are churches all around there. Why? Because they understand that it is the norm to launch further and further and further with the message of the gospel. Here's the disconnect. Churches cannot do that magically unless they have people that make them what they are with that kind of a mindset. And so I think it's interesting that in verse 1, it mentions five guys by name, but how many, how many hundreds of others are not even mentioned that had that same mindset? that we are here to launch. We're not here to maintain. If we begin to maintain, it won't be long before we die. We are here to launch. And that's what they did. It's this church that was the first one recorded in Scripture where the believers were called Christians. This church in Antioch. What Jesus had promised was taking place. He said, you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And it started because of that church in Antioch with a launch pad mentality that took its best, Barnabas and Paul. And they said, you got to go. And they sent them. You know, I can't help but wonder that God does not want to do exactly the same thing through this church right here on this corner. To take the message of the gospel to those who need to hear, launching out from this place as we understand the purpose for which God has planted us here. You are a part of something bigger than, than yourself. <laughs> you are. 
and the part that you play every time that you invite a person to come and to, to be in your, one of your Bible study classes, your Sunday school or dive class, every time you invite somebody to come and sit with you and worship, every time you meet a fellow at Walmart, every time you invite a, a coworker, every time you invite them to come and to be a part, every time you sit down with someone who's hurting and whose life is, is, is breaking apart before your very eyes and you draw up close to them and you tell them you're going to pray for them and you really do that and you follow up with them and every time that God opens a door and you begin to introduce Christ to the circumstances of other people and every time you uh, handle yourself in the workplace and in your community with integrity and compassion and love in a way that puts Jesus on display. Every time you do that, you're launching a little bit further and a little bit further. This ministry gets a little bit wider and a little bit wider. And it has very little to do with programs, it has very little to do with budgets, it has everything to do with whether or not the people of God are putting the person of Christ on display through their lives. And the, the church in Antioch, that's what they demonstrated. And I just want to encourage you, I want to challenge you that for you, you may, you may say, Brooks, I am not I am not a per, I'm not a preacher. I'm not one who's comfortable standing in front of groups of people. That's okay. I promise you that's okay. You may say, I don't even know what to say when I think about introducing Christ into the circles of influence in my life. You know, I've got a, a, a co-worker, and, and they're going through a tough time, and I don't even know where to start. That's okay. Just a baby step. And, and if we can just take a baby step individually and take Jesus from the pages of this book and place him out of the flow of our lives into the circumstances and lives of other people, it's amazing what God can do. I remember my dad years ago, he, uh, the first church I ever served in. By the way, my mom and dad joined the church I served in after I left to go to seminary. They joined it like the next week. What does that say about me? I don't know. As soon as I left, oh, that's a church we want to be in. Now the Brooks is going <laughs> to... Who knows what this church could do if I was just gone? You know, that's, I don't want to say that. Y'all might take me up on it. But my dad, God was doing a great, great work in my dad's life. And I still remember back in the 90s at this church where I was. And uh, my dad had made a decision for Christ years before, but God was just really stern in his life. And he'd made a real connection with the pastor of that church and their family and some others in the church. And, and uh, you know, he wanted to be baptized again. And I was, I was able to be there. I, I didn't baptize him, but I was in the water with him. It was just a real neat event. And I remember sometime after that, I was at, at their house, and I was down you know, in the room where the TV was and where they'd watch television. And I remember my dad, he said to me, he said, I made my first witness today. And I, I thought, because my dad was an attorney for 50 years, and I thought, Dad, you see witnesses every day. You like talk to them, depositions, trials, you know, what's up with the witness thing? <laughs> yeah, I made my first witness. I didn't even know what that meant. It didn't even fit my Christian jargon, you know. And, and, but he explained to me, he didn't tell how and he didn't give all the details, but what he had done was that he shared Jesus in a way that fit for him the best that he could in the life of another person. And I look back on that event and I think, you know, is that, is that not what God wants for every one of us? Listen, if we wait until we get an evangelism program memorized, we may never tell people about Christ. But if we are just willing, listen to me closely, if we're just willing to take what he has done in here, that he met me where I was. And whether your life was in the gutter or whether it was a successful or somewhere in between, it doesn't matter. You in sin are separated from God further than you could ever, ever have bridged. And when you think that there is a Savior named Jesus who did what was required through the person of the Holy Spirit to meet you where you were in success or in failure, heartache or, or happiness, wherever he was, you were when he met you. To think that he came to where you were and met you where you were, convinced you in your heart that you were lost without a Savior and that you needed him as your, as your own Lord and Savior and you made that choice to invite him in to forgive you and to take over and he took you from sin and the wrath of God, placed you in a place of forgiveness and relationship with God. You think that's not dramatic? When we can begin to work out of that overflow, it doesn't matter what we've 
memorized, what class we've been to, how many sermons we've heard preached. Let's just take that to those who need to hear, whether co-workers, family, friends, neighbors, whoever that may be on our campus. Let's just take that and see what God does with it. That's what this church did. They had not gone to CWT, EE, ESPN, CNN, any of those kind of things. And they're telling how many classes they could have gone to. They didn't mess with that. They just said, let's take Jesus where we've met him. And let's, let, here's, a, here's a fantastic thought. Let's just take him to those who need him. And the church exploded. And they launched the whole, this whole thing that we call Christianity when it launched out of Jewish circles to those that were of a Gentile nature, it launched from right there. Let me give you one quick principle, and then we're done. Our church will only launch when you reach. It's real simple. If we only see this thing called church as a place we go, as something for me, if that's all we see it as, and if we never reach, then this church never launches. You may as well bust up the launch pad, disassemble everything that it's about, and close the doors. Because from the very first days, launch pads existed to put the gospel message in the person of Jesus on display. Here's my challenge to you this week and in the days to come. I want you to think of that first baby step that you can take. And whatever it is, it's probably unique to you. Whatever person comes to mind, and it may be no one, it's just a willingness to say, God, this is all new to me. I've been coming to church for years, and I love coming. I'm comfortable. I get a little cold every now and then, but I'm comfortable here. <laughs> you know, all this is good. I mean, I don't mind coming in the doors, finding my seat, you know, giving towards, you know, the, the ministry and giving to the Lord. I, you know, all that's good to me. But thinking about, you know, taking this whole message and putting it into people's lives, this is all brand new to me. But God, I want to. I don't want to stand before you one day and see that I've missed a lot of opportunity to really do something to change people's lives. I want to be used by you. But, but, but I need your help. What is your baby step? And would you be willing to take it? That baby step may be a lot like my dad. I had my first witness today. Who knows, it may be a neighbor that's going through a difficult time and you say, I'll pray for you. I'm saying, what? <laughs> you, you've never said anything like this before. You're going to pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. And who knows the door that God may open. You see, we can feel guilty about not being Billy Graham year after year after year, or we can start small and let God give us the boldness that we need to make us launch pad Christians in a launch pad church, reaching an area that needs a Savior in a way that can make a difference forever. I had breakfast with a fellow in our church a few weeks ago. God's working in his life and in his own ministry in his own right tremendously. And he asked me, he said, what is one of the things that you enjoy the most about being a pastor? I didn't have to think long. I said, you know, I, I, get to be, I get to be on the front lines and to play a very, very small part in seeing God do work in people's lives that will never end. I said, the best thing to me about being a pastor is that I'm on the front row every week, not just Sundays, but every week, 
to be able to see God's work in people's lives. And I've played only a very, very, very small part of that, but I get to see and I get to hear the stories of how God is working and lives and marriages and circumstances, and I get to witness it every week. That's what I get to see. And you know the thought dawned on me after that conversation, that yes, even though I get to be on the front row to witness that kind of stuff on a weekly basis, that front row is still big enough for you. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with because I'm a pastor. It has everything to do with us understanding that God has put a boundary around us and he has set us apart. He's given us a savior. And he said, there's your world. You got to go. And when we launch, when we reach, this church launches. And the name of Christ shines brightly with heads bowed, eyes closed. For some of you this morning, you think, Brooks, I don't, I don't have a story like that. I don't have a reason to reach because I don't have a relationship with God even to begin with. You may have been coming here for a few weeks. You may have been coming for decades. But if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never turned from sin and asked Jesus to come in and to forgive you and to take over, then you don't have a relationship with God. There's no good that you can do that will bridge the gap that your sin has created. The only thing that will bridge it is the cross that Jesus has already died on. He's risen from the dead. And to take the work that was done there and apply it to your life requires that you turn from sin and just invite him to take over. And when you do, he'll take your life and he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you. He'll begin to use you. And so if you've never given your life to Christ, that's your step this morning. But if you've made that choice, I, you know, I wonder for you, which type of a Christian are you? Are you dying on the vine? Your, your, your walk with God is going nowhere. There's no real communion with the Lord, you rarely pray, you don't dig into his word, you, you don't care much about obeying or following him. You're Christian in name only, perhaps even that's sketchy because the scriptures teach that there will be fruit that is evidenced in the lives of those who know Christ, growth that will begin to occur over time. Is your walk with God, to, could it be characterized as just a maintenance type of a walk? You just kind of say the blessing and you pray for the same things that you prayed for for so long, and that's okay, but there's really no advance at all. Or would you say your, your life is a launch pad walk with God, that you're putting him on display and the words that you speak and the deeds that you do, the life that you live, shines the person of Jesus brightly. And are you willing to say, God, give me the boldness to take a step that I've not taken before to launch you out into the lives of another person. God, decisions are to be made today. We know that the work that is accomplished in the lives of churches like this often happen because of decisions made, just like the ones we face. And so I pray today, God, that whatever decisions are needed, that you would lead us to make the right choices, Father. In this time of invitation, God, our hearts, Lord, give us boldness to follow where you lead. And Lord, bless the choices that are made even right now in these next few moments. We thank you for what you'll do. We pray you'd be blessed and glorified through these decisions. And it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.